Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome back. Tonight we are doing a bonus segment. The Red Sox are still underway with the White Sox and what's a four-game set ending on Monday. So the regular show will be 24 hours from now and will be available for your Tuesday morning commutes. Tonight, going to do something a little different. We have a guest with us. He is the host of the Sox on Tap podcast, which covers the Chicago White Sox. That can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally everywhere, much like this one. Tony Marchese, how are you? Man, how you doing? I'm excited to be on the show with you, man. Yeah, it was kind of a last-minute uh, thing. I've haven't had anybody uh, on from the White Sox literally ever in my four and a half years of doing this. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Are you from the Chicago area? Born and raised. Uh, south suburbs. Uh, not in the city. Uh, if you, if you uh, are familiar with Chicago lingo, there's a, there's a distinct definition. So if I said I was from the city... Uh, I might get some hate mail from from certain people who say you're not actually from the city, you're from the suburbs. So I'll I'll say South Suburbs, born and raised, been out here my whole life. So yeah, from the Chicago land area. Gotcha. I'm from the Portland, Maine area, so I always just say Northern Red Sox Nation and that There you go. That has to suffice. But yeah. So I guess just kind of getting right into it, what's your what's your general feel for the team now three weeks into the season? You're I think you're at five hundred again after today's doubleheader. So Yes, we are we have we have clawed our way back to five hundred. It's uh it's been an interesting start to the year. I don't think that uh White Sox fans expected to be eight and eight right now. That's definitely not where the expectations were. Um, I think that, you know, we've had such a tumultuous rebuild process. And this this has been the year that's billed to White Sox fans, Terry, as the year. Uh, You bring in a guy like Tony La Russa, you make some additions this offseason, Lance Lynn, um, Adam Eaton. Uh, This was the year that the White Sox are supposed to put it all together. And I'd say that the before today, um, and outside of outside of Rodon's spectacular performance, there's been some concerns around this team. Myself, I've tried to preach patience. I've tried to preach that you know this team will figure it out and and get there. However, there are some things that we've seen from this team that just it doesn't look like professional ball players getting the job done right now. There's a lot of there's a lot of critical eyes on the product right now when you're talking about the Chicago White Sox. Today went a long way to help that, uh, but there are still some concerns. Uh, you mentioned Tony La Russa. That was a wildly unpopular hire across social media. It was mostly driven by your owner from from what I understood. What were your thoughts on it at the time, and what are your thoughts on him now three weeks into the season? So Tony Larusa being the hire, I guess, if if you're asking me personally, it didn't really surprise me all that much. Just with the amount of attention that we saw the White Sox uh, getting around that name specifically over the offseason, and and he's no 
he's no stranger to Jerry Reinsdorf. You mentioned our owner, um, and I'll, I'll say his name. I feel like there's some <laughs> people who don't want to say his name. You know, he's like he who sh- shall not be named uh, for some of us out here. But um, you know, he, he managed this team before. He's one of Jerry Reinsdorf's friends. Um, I know a lot of fans wanted the White Sox to go out and get uh, AJ Hinch. He was probably at the top of uh, most people's lists, uh, not only within the media here, uh, but also with the fan base. Um, and when Tony LaRusso's name was originally mentioned as a potential candidate, um, you know, even amongst our, our Sox on Tap group, who, who does the podcast with me over on Tap Sportsnet, a lot of us thought, hey, maybe this is just, you know, Jerry negotiating through the media to try and, uh, you know, scoop up one of these other managers uh, who were available this offseason. But it quickly came to pretty much everyone's, you know, forefront that this was actually a possibility that could happen. I don't think that the response was great originally. Um, and that just never got better after the news of the DUI broke. Uh, there was there was a lot of people who were just flat out upset with it. Um, I can't argue with Tony LaRusso's baseball history, though. I mean, he's he's a historically great baseball manager. Um, you know, he's been out of out of that managerial role for a while. So I, I, I knew that there would be somewhat of an adjustment period for him. But, you know, early on in the season, I, I think a lot of a lot of White Sox fans, uh, if you weren't for the hire originally, you're probably not still for it. You're probably still against it. Um, and, and a lot of people will try and take any of the baseball decisions uh, that are made on the field and, and throw that back somewhat in our front office's face uh, with this eight and eight start. You know, I talked about uh, how it's it's a, it's a little bit tense here. Um, a lot of that goes back to some of the Tony Larusa decisions that have been made early this season. Uh, bullpen management so far hasn't been exactly what I would have expected it to be. Um, even that said, though. Uh, I knew there was going to be somewhat of an adjustment period for him. I still think this team has a corner to turn. Uh, you know, it, there's not really that many other guys out there with his pedigree. I thought he was a fine hire. Uh, we'll see how it goes throughout the rest of the season. So far, I think the jury's still out, though. Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, it was a great theatrical uh, decision, you know, because we're not really invested in the team. But Dusty Baker's been a cool story in Houston and so far a successful one. He'd been managing a lot more recently too, uh, you know, compared to La Russa. But I just, I'm just kind of rooting for Tony. I don't know if it's going to work out well. I, I know he did kind of take some heavy criticism in, in a, I think it was an extra inning game where he didn't go to Hendricks when a lot of people felt that he should have. And that ended up being a loss. So of course, uh, you know, there's going to be, criticism and that's fair that's fair but I, I know that that was one of the instances you're talking about but I just uh, I hope it works out I hope it works out and it might just be a one-year thing a two-year thing I can't imagine the the heavy traveling is going to be anything less than harsh on a 76 year old but um it, it was an interesting decision, nonetheless. No, it it, it was, and, and we'll we'll see how this story plays out because it can go one of two ways. It's going to either go down in in complete flames, like every other single Chicago sports manager, or it might end up in the history books as you know one of the greatest hires of all time. If you know they end up pulling something off and winning the World Series, it, it, it's going to go one of two ways. There's there's no 
easy way out of a Chicago managerial position. It's got to be a tough market for sure to to manage in. Uh, moving on, we did have a doubleheader today, and two guys we sent to you guys in the Chris Sale deal, Yuan Moncada and Michael Kopech, definitely shined today. Uh, Kopech started the second game, and and uh, Moncada was all over the place in, in both games, having an impact with his bat and with his defense, which I was very impressed with. W- what are your thoughts on those two going forward? So these are two guys that, in in White Sox fandom, uh, they do have the spotlight on them. Uh, I'll, I'll start with Yohan Moncada because he was the headliner in this trade, um, coming back for Chris Sale. Uh, former overall number one prospect in the MLB. Kid's got all the talent in the world. Um, has, has shown flashes of just complete, absolute stardom. And I don't know if I've seen a baseball player uh, have the ball jump off the bat the way it jumps off of Yohan Moncada's bat when he connects with one. Uh, there's just there's a sound when somebody connects with a baseball, and then there's a sound when Yohan Moncada connects with a baseball. And I've I've been lucky enough to be in attendance for a few times where he's hit a baseball just absolutely square, and it's it's phenomenal to watch. It's it's absolutely one of the greatest things in the world. Then there's other times where Yohan Moncada is running around the bases and, and steps on third base, and the trainer needs to come out. And you're watching the game, and you not even the broadcast team can figure out where he would have been hurt. Um, so there, there's some questions there, and there's also there's also a thing with Yohan Moncada that's gone on, and I don't know if this was a thing when he was a Red Sox prospect or even with his brief stint with the Red Sox, but he almost somewhat has too good of an eye at times and, and waits back and counts um, and gets himself in a little bit of trouble, relies on that eye a little bit too much, and can become very frustrating to watch over stretches of time too. I was actually talking about this almost about a half a week ago on Socks on Tap, where I said it just feels like for some reason, Yoan Moncada has not had enough moments with the White Sox where he's the guy or he is the star of a game. And for someone who was the headliner of a trade, someone who came back when the White Sox were essentially giving up you know, their number one guy in Chris Sale. Uh, it just it just feels like there hasn't been enough of those moments where you can say, like, I'm glad the White Sox gave up Chris Sale for Yohan Moncada. And I know that he he did struggle with COVID-19 last year, um, and the long-term effects of that are not known yet. Uh, and, and this year he, he started to turn the corner a little bit today, and we'll see if that, if that continues on. But I still feel like we're 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 missing something more from him. Like there's another extra gear that Yoan Moncada can get to um, that I think a lot of people are waiting for. And I don't know if if some of that, me personally, I believe that that some of that might be attributed to the spotlight being on him, where he's at in the lineup. Uh, I saw when Eloy Jimenez's bat came into that lineup in in Moncada's second year with the White Sox. Uh, you saw a different version of him. That was the best year he had uh, in 2019 where there was another young bat in this lineup that was protecting him, taking some of that spotlight, some of that pressure off of him. Then you see Tony LaRusso using him in the four spot mainly this year uh, and some of those struggles continuing on top of what he had going on last year with the COVID-19 
you've seen a position change from Ancada so far with the White Sox from second to third base. It, it seems like this kid just needs a little bit of stability um, and maybe some of the spotlight off of him in order to perform to the best of his abilities. That's where I'm at with Moncada. I'm actually going to question you on this one. Did you guys have any of these concerns with him as a Boston prospect? Well, he had a brief call up in late 2016 uh, in the month of September and the strikeouts were pretty glaring. And I know that continued to be a problem with you guys in this first year or two and maybe perhaps even still on and off. But um, we just, Hadn't quite seen enough of him. And, you know, you, you talk about him not getting into that last gear. We thought he was going to be a super phenomenon, a generational talent, if you will. So, um, so unfortunately, it was just too short of a sample size for us to really know. And, and Dombrowski wanted uh, Chris Sale really badly. I will say this, though, on our season preview about a month ago, one or two of my co-hosts picked him to win the American League MVP. So, <laughs> Yeah, you know what? We, we, we did our season preview show, too. Um, you know, I picked him as, as our team MVP. I think all the talent is there. He's got all the talent in the world. Um, you know, as I said, you know, just the way he can hit a ball, switch hitter, uh, he plays a really solid third base. That glove plays over there very well. Um, it just feels like he hasn't had those superstar moments. When you talk about generational talent, you're talking about a guy that you want up in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and you know a runner on second. You're down by one run. You think that this guy, he's the guy you want up there to drive the drive the runner home, even if it's you know he's on second or, or third base. Doesn't matter. This guy's going to make contact. I just feel like we've seen too many times where Mancato will drive himself into a, you know, a three-two count and take, take a ball on the edge of the plate and rely on the umpire rather than you know putting the bat on the ball and taking things into his own hands. Um, and I think that that's more or less what we're looking for out of him because you, you want that superstar moment from him. You want him to be that clutch player, that guy that's going to drive this team. Uh, I think you put it right, man. Generational talent, that's what we're looking for out of him. Uh, I'll shift gears over to Michael Kopech, though. Um, you know, I, I look at him more as a secondary piece in this trade that you get from Chris Sale, but he's another guy that could easily enough have been a headliner, in my opinion, for just about any deal you're going to make because he's another kid that just has all the talent in the world as well, just on the other side of the ball. You know, his fastball is one of the most electric things uh, in his arsenal, just the ability for him to go out there. He's a gamer. He's a kid that's got uh, a pretty decent head on his shoulders. Uh, I know he did struggle with, you know, some of the mental health issues, and he did end up, uh, you know, opting out last year. Uh, there were, you know, things swirling in the media, national media, uh, about why that was. And, uh, you know, that's here nor there at this point in time. I think for White Sox fans, one of the most frustrating things is the fact that we got just a taste of Michael Kopech uh, before he got himself injured and had to go uh, under the knife for Tommy John and then opts out the next year. And it had been effectively two years since uh, one of the most exciting White Sox games that I've been to in such a long time was Michael Kopech's debut. I mean, the whole entire city, it felt like, was rallying around this kid uh, for his debut. It was almost, I, th I think, a, a walk-up ticket sale record uh, during uh, his his call-up. 
everybody had been waiting around for it. Uh, it came in uh, in mid-August uh, when you know most of our uh, you know media coverage had said that this kid was ready in May. So you know it was it was a long wait to get Kopech there, and then it was a long wait to get him back. And this was you know the first time he started a ball game uh, was this afternoon. And, you know, I think it was kind of cool that it came against the team that drafted him in the Red Sox. And, you know, his stuff today was it was just as crisp as it has been out of the bullpen so far this season. He's been a really great surprise. I think he's going to wind up being a long-term starter. But right now, um, you know, in a two- to three-inning relief role, he is not somebody that I think anybody in the major leagues wants to face after facing anybody else in the White Sox rotation. I think he's just an absolute weapon. Um, if he can continue to put what he's done uh, together so far, he's going to be a really solid piece to this White Sox club going forward, especially this year. And he he had his issues early on uh, with the Red Sox. He had the suspension, which I think was something I can't remember what he he popped for on that one. It was either PED or drugs, but he that was you know something that he dealt with. He broke his hand punching a wall, which again, kind of frustrating. And uh, and then you touched on the stuff on since he got with with you guys the Tommy John and whatnot. He had a high profile marriage too, didn't he? Some yes, he did. He had a high profile marriage, and he also had a high profile engagement as well. So he's he's definitely been (laughs) he's definitely been in the in the media, not even just the baseball media, but. Uh, almost that like celebrity esque uh, following for him, so he, he definitely has the spotlight, so to speak, when it comes to you know his career and everything that surrounds it. Um, not that that uh, you know you can say that that doesn't do him any favors um, as somebody who's dealt with some of these struggles. Um, one thing that we did notice as White Sox fans, there was somewhere along the lines where he did delete his Twitter, all of his social media, everything completely took himself out of that. That was shortly after, I believe, the Tommy John surgery, um, and he kind of tightened up his circle a little bit. is is what uh, is what we noticed, and and kind of worked through some things to get himself to the point where he is today. Yeah, so hopefully, with all of this, he just kind of hones in on his baseball career and and lives up to the potential. Um, I would love to see it, you know, even even though he's in a different organization. I, I just think it's good for Chicago. It's good for baseball and. How are they going to manage his innings? Is it is it going to be mostly long relief, and then maybe as you get close to the end, maybe he he starts some games for you? So that was actually something that uh, I was talking about today during this game, uh, during the first game. Was you know we didn't really name a starter until after the first game had finished. Tony Larusa uh, had said that they were going to see how the bullpen was through game one. Uh, the White Sox were expected to go with another guy in their minor leagues, uh, Strever, uh, to start game two. So we didn't even know uh, who was going to start game two. I had a sneaky feeling it might be Michael Kopech, depending on uh, when that game had gone on in game one, uh, how long Dallas Keuchel was going to go, because Michael Kopech had not pitched in um, so it wasn't surprising that they went to Kopech, but I would say if Keuchel didn't make it through three, it probably would have been Kopech in game one. Um, so I think that that's what they were more or less waiting on. I'm happy that Kopech did end up getting the start because it hasn't been uh, something that uh, the White Sox have even commented on, uh, whether or not he would get the ball 
Well, the Sox still have Reynaldo Lopez uh, waiting on their taxi squad, and he was a starter here last year. Not exactly a fan favorite amongst uh, White Sox fans, just not a guy that has consistently got the job done. But so far, it seems like Michael Kopech is going to kind of be that long relief guy. But he's also, I think, one of their most, you know, elusive weapons in that bullpen. Outside of Aaron Bummer, when you get to Liam Hendricks, I know a lot of guys uh, are high on Evan Marshall, but Michael Kopech's stuff so far this season has been one of the best, if not the best, out of that bullpen. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Tony LaRusa ends up using him down the stretch. I think, you know, and and most of my Sox on Tab co-hosts will probably agree with me. I think we would all want him to be that next man up in the rotation if there is a long-term injury or if Dylan Cease can't, um, you know, put everything together because Kopech has that stuff. Uh, I I think everybody knows that his his goal is to be a long-term starter. That's where he's stated that he wants to be. Um, so they've also not said whether or not he's on an innings limit. Uh, that's been something that's questioned to Tony LaRussa and Rick Hahn so far this season. And they've said that, uh, they're just going with the flow at this point in time. Uh, there's no hard innings limit on him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many innings though he does rack up and, uh, you know, what that looks like at the all-star break. But right now I see him more in that, uh, two inning role, um, two to three max. And then, uh, Riding most of this year out in the bullpen. We'll see what happens. Lance Lynn just uh, got placed on the IL uh, today, so we'll see if the White Sox make a corresponding move, bring somebody else up, or if they stick with Kopech in that rotation for the time being. I just hope that he's available to you guys uh, in October uh, as a starter, if that's what if that's what your team needs at that moment. Uh, moving on, and speaking of a guy who's had had some troubles in years past, uh, his name's been in the news uh, for much of the past several days. Carlos Rodon uh, had an eight-two-two ERA last year. Struggled. I don't think many people are going to hold twenty-twenty against anyone. But uh, how shocked were you that he, of everybody on your staff, was the guy who threw a no-hitter? You know, this was this was a magical moment for for Carlos Rodan, and I'm 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 happy for him as a person. Just everything he's battled through, um, tons of injury history here for this guy. I mean, you're talking about multiple surgeries, multiple years in a row, uh, where this kid doesn't break camp with the team uh, due to injury setbacks. Um, you know, former number three overall draft pick. I think, you know, at that point, you're talking about a kid that has he's got the stuff. That was never the question. Whether or not he can put together a full season of healthy baseball and, you know, just just get to that level of consistency was more or less the issue. And I think it started to to really take a toll on him. He was a guy uh, at the end of last offseason when the White Sox let him go. Most of the fan base, including myself, we were happy with that because we had almost seen enough of Carlos, the, the Carlos Rodon project at that point in time. It just year in and year out, you'd, you'd break camp and Carlos Rodon was not part of your rotation. And when he was drafted, he was looked at as a guy who's, who's a number one, number two, uh, you know, coming out of college, could jump right in pretty much right away, put together effective major league innings um, and be a difference maker. And it never really panned out. And then, the injuries started to pile up 
and things got worse for him. And people started to really turn on Carlos Rodon. And I, I, I really honestly think that it wasn't even in the White Sox plans to bring him back this offseason. It just kind of fell in her lap. I was actually surprised that the Chicago Cubs didn't take a flyer on Carlos Rodon. Just the fact that, you know, across town, you're looking at, at a team that needed another arm. And Carlos Rodon had an arm. And he was just out there and could be had for cheap. I'm surprised that most teams in the major leagues didn't take a flyer on him. And the fact that he winds up back with the White Sox and right now arguably has had the best start to the season out of anybody on their starting staff, that just goes to, you know, that just goes to all the work and, and you know, work ethic that he's had over this past offseason to really turn everything around, come out here. He's fully healthy right now. He's got a great attitude towards everything. He looks absolutely determined to prove everybody wrong. He's got a huge chip on his shoulder and you're seeing that stuff play out with that, that mind just ready to go right now too. He's got everything working for him. I think you saw everything that he had against Cleveland. He said it after the, after the, in the post game show, it just feels good to be out here and dominate for once. You know, he, if anybody deserves it right now, it's Carlos Rodon. I think everybody's happy for him. Uh, and he should be happy with his performance too, because it's just an incredible story. Did you guys hire a new pitching coach over the winter when Larusa came in? We did. We did hire a new pitching coach, Don Cooper, who was here for basically forever, uh, was let go with Ricky Renteria. They actually did bring in G, uh, Lucas Giolito's uh, high school pitching coach. Wow. is who they brought on uh ethan katz um he came in he is uh quote unquote the the pitcher whisperer um and you know everybody's been somewhat high on what he's brought to the table thus far outside of what we've seen from dylan cease so uh things are working well um as far as the starting pitching has gone i should preface that with we've had some bullpen issues so far so we're we're a little a little shy on saying that everything's worked. Uh, but, you know, may- maybe that has also had a positive impact on Carlos Rodon. Um, when Lucas Giolito came over, he did struggle initially with the White Sox. He was another guy in almost the same kind of situation uh, where, you know, after about a year or two, you're really questioning, does Lucas Giolito have the mental toughness to get through a full 162? Does does he have the stuff? Is is he going to be able to be a major league baseball player? And then he went back and worked with this guy over the offseason, came back and started putting together monster campaigns and has been absolutely lethal since. Now you're seeing him get the chance to work with a guy like Carlos Rodon, um, and things have turned around for him too. So, um, you know, early successes there for the new pitching coach. The Red Sox brought in Dave Bush at the start of the 2020 season, and we've seen some turnarounds there. So I I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. You know, a pitching coach can definitely make an impact. Before we wrap, I have to ask you about your mean Mercedes, who I had never heard of before that three-home run game, and I did a little digging. He's currently 20th on MLB.com in your system. He's your 20th ranked prospect on that site. Fangraphs in a uh, in a list from last September has him 15th, uh, you know, in your system. Again, that's from December though. And then last summer, Baseball America published one of their lists, 
and Mercedes wasn't even in your top 30 on their list. So where the hell did this guy come from? It's hilarious that you're asking this because um, we, we were having this conversation on Socks on Tap, I believe, a year or two ago when, when Chavis came up through your system um, and absolutely put a hurting on just baseballs galore uh, when he came up. And we're like, why, do, why don't the White Sox ever have a guy that just comes up He's not, you know, a, a you know one through ten guy on any list. Uh, you don't see where he's at. He just comes up and he absolutely mashes baseballs. And finally this year, that guy is Yerman Mercedes for the White Sox. And I give I give my guy Johnny on the podcast, uh, uh, you know, some pokes and prods on this one all the time. I'm like, you've been waiting for this guy forever. Um, you know, he was in the White Sox system for a little while um, with the with the Charlotte Knights. And his bat has always played. His bat has always been his weapon. Uh, he's 27 years old right now. And, you know, just not a guy that's ever really had any attention or coverage. But he's hit these home runs through the minor leagues. Uh, if if you follow White Sox baseball, he's, he's had this bat for a while. The problem is, is that he doesn't really stick anywhere on defense, which, I mean, we're talking American League ball right now. How perfect is that for the DH? The problem with the White Sox is the roster construction right now. You've got a guy in Yasmani Grandal who can also spend time at DH. Uh, when Eloy Jimenez is healthy, he can play DH. I'd rather him there than left field. That's why he's injured right now. Uh, and then you've got Jose Abreu who's going to need some days off, but you want his bat in the lineup. Um, you know, Zach Collins is a guy that that's fighting for at bats. Also, you've got Andrew Vaughn on this roster. He plays first base. We've got a lot of corner infi- corner infield guys. Um, and big bats that deserve to be in the lineup. And then last year you had Edwin Encarnacion, you had Yonder Alonso the year before. Uh, this guy's never really just had the chance to break out and, and take hold of anything. It was actually a surprise to me that he broke camp with the team uh, just because I didn't know where the hell you would stick him and how you would get him at bats without spelling Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, um, Johan Moncada, Zach Collins, Yasmani Grandal, there's 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 too many guys who are on this roster uh, that deserve at bats, and so it was actually a surprise that he he was going to break camp. And when he started out this year, um, just going uh, on that ridiculous what was it eight game hit streak uh, to start the year, he solidified his spot in the lineup until he no longer is hitting at the rate that he is right now. And every single game he plays, it's just like, is this going to be the day he's over four? Uh, golden sombrero day and it's it's it hasn't been that he's still consistently putting bat on ball uh you see him leave the yard today he's just been an absolute story um he's the type of bat that you'd love to see in like a home run derby uh he's he was just born to hit and he's also a fan favorite too great personality um and like you said he came out of nowhere i'm glad as a white Sox fan that there are other people out there in this that are baseball fans saying where the hell did this guy come from and I'm jealous of him being on the White Sox because that, to me, it doesn't happen for us very often. And it's just awesome to see that and him, you know, do this on such a, a large stage uh, that brings attention to, to the White Sox because it's it's been so long since we've had that. Yeah. And I mean, he, he hasn't hit, I think he's hit maybe one or two home runs since that game, but he's hitting at a 415 uh, clip with a... Uh, an OPS of almost 1200. So 
The guy can mash. He's an extra base hitting machine by the looks of it. He's built like a like a a brick shit house for <laughs> lack of a better yes. term. The dude's rugged as all hell. Uh, and yeah, so uh, he's he's been fun to watch. I snagged him on my fantasy team the very next day after the three home run game, and he's paid dividends. I can't do anything with him outside of my utility position, like you said. <laughs> But, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm in the same boat <laughs> as you. I snagged him up during that game, and he has clogged up the DH position. Um, and he's actually spelling Yoan Moncada on my fantasy roster as well because you just can't take him out of the lineup. Right. You don't know if you're going to get another three-home run game. Yeah. He's, he's got that potential to do that any night. And I'll say this, and this is setting the bar probably impossibly high, but Mookie Betts came out of nowhere as far as we're concerned with the Red Sox. Fourth-round draft pick. Didn't exactly fly up through the minors, you know, was down there for about three years. And then as soon as he got here, you know, he, he made his mark. And, and but, you know, Mercedes, just to kind of keep things rational, I mean, he, he has every bit the look of a, a perennial 30 home run, 100 RBI guy that you could plug somewhere between three through sixth in your in your lineup. Yes, so. he absolutely does. Uh, no telling if if he'll actually reach that pinnacle, but um, you know I like to say small sample size theater here. Uh, the eye test looks great right now. Let's I want to see him continue this through May June and then really start having those conversations. It's been a great April for him. I think one thing that uh, we're all a little hesitant for just because we haven't had that guy kind of carry things through is just to see that larger sample size and, and continue to grow. I think, you know, looking at him right now, that 30 home run, 100 RBI guy, that would be absolutely phenomenal for the White Sox if we can get that out of him. Well, I certainly uh, I certainly hope uh, the momentum continues because he's, he's a lot of fun to watch. And like I said, he's on my fantasy team, so I, I do have a vested interest, but... <laughs> But yeah, all right. Well, for the listening audience, that's going to do it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We will be back uh, in 24 hours to do the regular show, um, you know, recapping the the White Sox series. It is Lucas Giolito tomorrow, so not feeling so good. But we did beat Glass now uh, that last time out. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can salvage a split here. And uh, you can find Tony on the Socks on Tap podcast again, available everywhere. So uh, look look for that as well. Take care.